Hello, you're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gunyan. Stephen Schultz from Momentum joining me this evening to guide us through all the latest news on global markets. Later in the show, we'll also be joined by David Gibb to discuss the Anchor BCI Worldwide Flexible Fund. All that coming away shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, President Donald Trump's trade negotiation visit to China has come and gone without a concrete deal. The U.S. has proposed tariffs on $50 billion worth of Chinese goods, which could take effect in June if no agreement is reached by then. Meanwhile, markets are on alert for any spike in Chinese and German trade surpluses with the U.S. that could further fuel global tensions this week. Apple shares have hit a new high on news that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has bought 75 million shares of the iPhone maker in the first quarter. Days before the disclosure, Apple reported quarterly numbers which beat analyst expectations. Buffett's Apple commitment has surprised many, given his aversion to tech companies in the recent sale of his unsuccessful IBM investment. And staying with tech companies, Alibaba has reported better-than-expected top-line results, driven by strong sales in its commerce and cloud computing units, even as margins were squeezed by investments. Here's more on that. Alibaba reported better-than-expected fourth-quarter revenue on strong sales in its commerce and cloud businesses. Alibaba's quarterly revenue has been growing above 50% over the past two years, even as new investments in offline retail, cloud computing and overseas expansion clipped margins. Alibaba also gave an outlook for 60% revenue growth next year its shares rose. U.S.-China partners, Savio Chan. Well, they're continuously to add on their ecosystem by increasing their monthly active users on the mobile platform to 617 million users. Uh, so that we keep on climbing on those numbers. Besides they're buying a lot of the South Asian Pacific you know, e-commerce platform like Lazada, and among the N Financial, the payment platform to invest in that platform. So all that, and of course the other platform in terms of their movies, their, their other strategy platform, they're all increasing. So they're, they're poised to increase even more in the future. Alibaba faces increased competition from Chinese rival JD.com, which has teamed up with social media and gaming giant Tencent. Stephen Schultz from Momentum Investments in studio. Um, well, let's get back to Alibaba's results. Maybe start off with um, the US. We had jobs numbers out on Friday, and I think they were a little bit weaker than expected, wage growth weaker than expected, and that's seen as positive. So we did see shares rising on Friday, and again today when the market opened. Yeah, so, so absolutely we saw a particularly weak jobs data. It's the second month in a row. Um, so we saw 163,000 jobs being added. Um, but remember, the month prior to that was 103. So both of them quite significantly missing analyst expectations. Um, what was a particular concern for the markets, um, or perhaps what was cheered by the markets, <laughs> was the fact that um, we saw very weak wage growth, so hourly year-on-year -year wage growth um, of low 2%, um, which certainly doesn't suggest that there's a tightening of labor market. But despite this, we saw unemployment in the U.S. Um, come down to 3.9%, which is an 18-year low. Um, it basically means that any, anyone who wants a job can get a job. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> I, I, suppose, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. I think um, the fact that it's very weak wage growth would, would sort of contrast that and suggest there's not a lot of tightening taking place in mm -hmm. labor in the U.S. And I think that's a little bit where, where stocks started to rally. What the market obviously cheers is the fact that a weaker economy suggests a little bit of a slower uptick in interest rates from the Federal Reserve. 
Um, we saw one or two weeks prior to that, we saw the, the growth numbers for the first quarter come in higher than expected, and that created a little bit of anxiety with investors. Yeah. Uh, I think many of them started repricing for a June hike, um, and with last week's data, I think many of them are, are second-guessing that and perhaps sticking to three this year as opposed to four. Okay. Um, so that's one uh, concern out of the way for the moment. Um, another concern is that the ongoing trade spat between the US, China, the US, Germany, the US, anybody that it has a deficit with. Um, and we had that trade delegation to China last week. It doesn't look like they came up with anything concrete. Yeah, so look, I think the, the propaganda machine is chugging along healthily. Um, we saw the Donald Trump administration describe the, the talks, I think, as fruitful, whereas uh, the Chinese were far more measured. Um, they described it as constructive, efficient, um, and admitted to, to their remaining significant dislocations in terms of agreements on, on trade terms. Mm -hmm. So the Chinese, perhaps a, a far more sober view, uh, suggesting much work needs to be done. One of the positive statements we saw on, on the trade side uh, came from a very unlikely source. It is, of course, uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, ever the opportunists, um, suggesting that logic would prevail and somehow the two parties would find one another and avo avoid an all-out trade war. I mean, do you, do you think they will? So they have a month and a half to, to get there. And I suppose it's in everyone's best interest that they do reach a, a settlement. Absolutely. So, so look, I think the, the risk is ever-present, but I, I can't help but think that neither party has much to gain from, a, from an all-out war. I think that it does appear to be a bit of a negotiation tactic, and I'm sure they will eventually concede. Okay, well, staying with Warren Buffett, um, as we had heard in the headlines, Berkshire Hathaway bought an extra 75 million Apple shares, so that makes them the third largest shareholder in Apple. And, and for a man who's wary of tech shares, that's quite a big undertaking. Yeah, so I think that was, that was one of the big admissions that came out of, came out of the meeting. Um, so we saw investors in their thousands uh, flock towards Nebraska. 40,000 apparently. 40,000, um, it's, a, it's a stadium full. Um, many of them going for the AGM, but I think the truth is most were actually there to see the Oracle of Omaha's question and answer session uh, between himself and, and Charlie Munger. Um, we saw an admission that they've now taken up 5% of the total Apple market cap, um, which is certainly encouraging for Apple shareholders or anyone who subscribes to, to his investment success. We saw a number of other admissions. Wells Fargo comes to mind. Um, I think many, many investors were asking questions of, of whether they would maintain their investment in Wells Fargo. It's been subject to a lot of criticism on the ethics front. Mm -hmm. um, Warren Buffett making very interesting comments. He said no suggestion of him selling anytime soon. And in fact, some of his best investments have been made after incidents such as this. Charlie Munger, I think, chimed in and, and suggested that the CEO has put very good measures in place to avoid repeat exercises. Um, we saw a great comment from Warren Buffett describing Bitcoin as, I think he said, ratic squared, which is <laughs> typical uh, Warren Buffett humor. Um, and I think there was a, a lot of focus on succession planning for the outfit. Obviously, not, not very young men running the company at the moment, but them suggesting that their, their ethos is now well ingrained in the culture of the company and can survive past their, their leadership. So based on what he had to say, would you choose Wells Fargo over Bitcoin? Absolutely. Um, look, I, I don't quite know whether people are flocking towards Wells Fargo. Um, it might be one of those bold moves that pays off over time for Warren Buffett. Um, but I'm not a particular fan of, of Bitcoin, so by that measure, yes, absolutely. Well, I think we're going to be chatting to David Gibb about unloved stocks a little bit later, so we'll get his view on that. Um, but staying with the tech sector, Alibaba, um, best than expected sales results. Um, so top line growth was good, cloud computing strong. Um, 
but they have been investing a lot, so bottom line growth didn't quite match that. Yeah, look, a phenomenal set of results. It doesn't really matter how you how you grade it. Um, the truth is there is a lot of investment that's compressing margin at the moment. They're investing in cloud computing, logistics. Um, they're investing in physical stores, um, which actually, when you describe it that way, sounds very similar to Amazon. So perhaps a, an Amazon of China. Mm -hmm. um, we saw great sales volumes, uh, improvement of 60% year on year and revenue uh, increased north of 50%. So a phenomenal set of results. I think the share price is up about 4% on the release. Uh, and I think they've also forecast even stronger revenue growth for next year. Yeah, just getting started. Um, so it's a very dynamic business with lots of angles. I thought I saw one of, the, one of the analysts pulling out their financial services business and suggesting that it is now larger than Goldman Sachs. Um, so it is, a, it is an incredible business. Too late to get into it? Um, look, you know, I probably would have said the same two, three years ago, too late, um, and somehow it just keeps on growing. Whether you ask the question whether it will be around in a few years' time, it can maintain these growth levels. I suspect the growth levels must come down at some point in time, but I don't think Alibaba is going anywhere. Phenomenal okay. company. Um, Air France shares down 10% at one point today, and the CEO has resigned. And he's resigned over the rejection of a, a pay deal um, by staff. Uh, he's only been in the job for two years, so bad news for Air France KLM. Yeah, so, so a particularly bad day for, for shareholders of, of the airline. Um, we saw the shock resignation. Uh, I don't think many people were expecting it. Share price plunged 13% on the announcement. Um, I think competitors, as this is Europe's largest airline, um, cheering, so they were all in the green off the back of this. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there's there's been two problems really. One of them is, is the pay deal, which is ongoing. We've seen numerous strikes on, on, on Air France's front, but we've also seen some very reckless statements made by, by European politicians suggesting that the council will be out of business any day now, and that doesn't help to, to manage a company in crisis. No. Um, and Nestle partnering with Starbucks, so it's going to pay Starbucks just over $7 billion, yes. and that's to and sell Starbucks products globally through its network. Yeah, so look, uh, I suppose that was a real surprise. Um, many would have would have thought it impossible uh, only a week ago. Uh, the truth is, I think Nestle have been looking for an opportunity to break into that US consumer market, coffee market, which is an extremely lucrative one, and they have struggled for years. Starbucks effectively giving them that with a with brand recognition. Um, and what Starbucks gets is obviously a, a retail net uh, network of distribution. Um, and also it will be finding its way into its coffee pods. So the Nespresso and Dol is it Dolce Gusta coffee pods will now be filled with Starbucks beans. Um, so uh, do you think this is really just Nestle trying to get into the US market more so than its existing home markets in Europe? I suspect so. Um, so look, there's, there's certainly benefits of a Starbucks brand in Europe, um, but some of the comments from the CEO suggested that, that it is more a US play and, and really that's the opportunity set that they're willing to pay up for. Okay, and then Tesla. Um, under pressure last week, it had results, yeah. and I think Elon Musk was particularly rude to some analysts in the conference call. I suppose if you're asking investors to have faith in your products, then don't dismiss them. Yeah, look, it's, it's particularly sad for me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk, as, as is many, um, but it does appear that he's particularly unhinged at the moment, so <laughs> a lot of frustration coming through. Um, I think he described one of the analysts on the earnings call as a, as a bonehead and suggested that he would not be answering his uncool questions. Stock price reacting immediately down 9%. Uh, afterwards, he admitted it was a mistake, but, but over and above the theatrics, um, I think the real problem at hand here is the fact that it is burning through cash at, a, at an alarming rate. 
1,000, sorry, one, 1 billion US dollars over the past quarter. Um, it only has 2.7 billion US dollars on its balance sheet at the moment. So by that logic, if it carries on going at this pace to scale up the, the Model 3, which is obviously very required, um, they could potentially be out of cash by the end of the year, calendar year. Um, Elon Musk denying it. Don't see who the bonehead is. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk denying it, but, but clearly the market not 100% convinced. Okay, so I haven't asked you for a stock pick. So off the top of your head, anything you'd like to buy at the moment? Uh, stock pick at the moment is Home Depot. Um, it is it is a, a home improvements and building supply company. Uh, think along the lines of Builders Warehouse um, in South Africa. But bigger. But for the US, Mexico, Canada, and recently China, phenomenal company. Um, it is it is definitely benefiting from the renewed positive sentiment in the US, upping uh, as soon as home property prices start increasing in the US, what you find is is far more people investing in their homes, renovating, etc., and a massive beneficiary of that. Okay, so Home Depot, that's what Stephen Schultz would be about buying. We're going to a short break. When we come back, we take a look at the Anchor BCI Worldwide Flexible Fund. That's with David Gibb. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, Stephen Schultz from Momentum Investments. Joining us to discuss the Anchor BCI Worldwide Flexible Fund is David Gipp. He's the Portfolio Manager. And so, David, if you buy the, the Worldwide Flexible Fund, what are you getting? So you're investing outside of South Africa for, I'd say, 90% of the fund. It's really about diversification. Uh, most people, you know, South African investors, this is really open to South African investors. It's a RAND-based fund. So if you're going to live here, I suggest that people have some of their assets offshore. Um, it's convenient. You only have to put rands in, and I basically transfer the money around the world. So it's, it's, it's convenient. Um, we report in rand uh, terms. So, you know, obviously I can also refer to dollar returns, but typically, especially if you're a retired person in South Africa or close to retirement, you want to know what your returns are poison rands. So, so you would suggest for somebody who's staying in South Africa and intends to retire here, rather go for a rand-based offshore fund than take the externalize the well, money. Well, I think you might want fund. to have some money offshore as well. I mean, a lot of us, I will have money here. I'll also have money offshore. So I can't look after you. I mean, we obviously have other funds with an anchor that can look after you with your dollars offshore. But I think it's just a, it's a very convenient way. So I, I typically think it's it's good to have, you want to have some savings in South Africa and then have some savings offshore. And typically, you know, you want to decide how much you want to have in each, you know, within the country and outside of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, Obviously, uh, the uh, environment looks a lot better now. <laughs> so, so you're, you're, you're yeah. reporting in rands and then obviously in a period where we've seen the rands strengthen so much, that must take away from your performance. Yes. Unfortunately, you have a South African benchmark, which is CPI plus 4%. Yes. Yes, so I mean, obviously, when we started this fund, we are coming up for our fifth birthday. Um, the fund started on the 13th of May, 2013. Oh, well. oh, yeah. So next week, we, we are up for... So the first three years of the fund, 2013, 14, and 15, the RAND weakened. In fact, on the first day we, we, we started this fund, the RAND went, I think, from 923 um, to about 980. And in in, it, was a, it was a big drop in one day. So three years, and this typically coincides with emerging market cycles. So we had a weakening cycle in emerging markets, and then it all changed in January 2016. The RAND started strengthening, while emerging markets started strengthening. 2016 and 2017, I'm having to 
run a bit harder to absorb RAND strength. Um, so far this year, we're about all square now. Yeah. Um, sure, on the benchmark side, I see it's CPI plus 4%, of the domestic CPI, obviously, yes. which is a fairly conservative um, benchmark, but I see, obviously, the portfolio is leaning a lot more aggressively towards global equities. Yes. Uh, is that just a, is that symbolic of, of where you're finding opportunities in the market? Um, well, the benchmark, it's a, the worldwide funds typically have, uh, and, and, and flexible funds, um, they typically have an absolute return benchmark. Um, that's, I think a lot of people would look from that f uh, f in, a f in a flexible fund. Um, but I don't, we don't have a, a, a performance fee in this fund. I mm. always compare myself with the S&P 500 and the FTSE All World. So I think that's really what people are looking for. You want us, you know, we must beat that benchmark. Sure. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm typically looking at, at some of the equity returns offshore and that's, you know, those are the things that I'm really trying to beat. So the FTSE All World is, uh, is an important index. Obviously, and in and this how fund... how have you performed compared to that? FTSE All World last year, we were, um, we were below the FTSE All World. Um, the year before, we, we did a bit better than the FTSE All World. Um, you know, obviously, because it's a flexible fund, I make a decision on, on how I feel equities are valued. So I don't have to be 100% invested in equities all the time. We're about 90% invested in equities now. So for that other 10%, if, you know, if, if stock markets continue to, well, if they run hard this year, obviously I'm, I'm going to miss out on that. But I think that, you know, we've had a, a long bull market uh, from about March of 2009. The stock markets have done exceptionally well. Profit margins are high. Um, but I think the bond market, frankly, is more expensive than the equity market. So we, we've tended to go with equities and cash. So that 10% that is not invested in equities, that's mostly in, in the US dollar. Um, and a little, we have a small holding in euros too. Okay. Uh, and you, you do look for undervalued, unloved companies. Yes. Is it becoming increasingly difficult to find those companies in a, a, such a, a long bull market? Um, I, th I think you can, still, you can still find these. I mean, in our first quarter, we found uh, a jewelry business in Denmark called Pandora, probably well known to many South Africans. Um, and and the, all companies make mistakes at some point, and it was Pandora's turn uh, in recent times. You know, they haven't renewed their, their product offering, and they're too concentrated on, uh, on charms, and, uh, charms and bracelets. So they're looking to diversify into neckwear, so necklaces, earrings, um, and they want to reduce that dependency from about 75 to 50%. Um, so I, I think, to be honest, there's always, there are always shares to find. Um, um, there's still, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, people often like to compare shares, either growth shares or value shares. Typically the growth shares are the high, fast-growing shares, they've done much better than a lot of the value shares in recent years. Mm -hmm. So I would, we've got a big position in U.S. banking uh, mm -hmm. in, in this fund. So J.P. Morgan is a very big holding, as is U.S. Bank Corp um, and Synchrony Financial. We're talking about Wells Fargo. Is, is that a holding at all? I do have a small holding in Wells Fargo. Um, I did buy that actually when we started the fund. Um, but my, my major positions are in J.P. Morgan. In fact, Wells Fargo, they've got an investor day this week. Um, so you might increase that stake. So I think it looks interesting. They're obviously carrying a lot of costs. You know, they, they had a, a, a selling culture where they basically were selling things, you know, selling 
credit card accounts to people that didn't want them. So the CEO lost his job, uh, job John Stumpf. But I mean, as we know, people reluctantly change their bank, their bank. So they haven't really lost many customers. It's still a very good bank, um, but they obviously lost their way on their sales culture. So they are absorbing costs this year and some more costs in 2019. But I think 2020 will be the first clean year for Wells Fargo. Um, so I, I think Wells Fargo of, of the big US banks is, is looking very attractive right now. So we, we're at about a 3% stake. I have a lot in banks already, so I might not posi uh, increase my position uh, that much. But, you know, certainly a JP Morgan and a US bank. I have been buying some more US Bank Corp recently, uh, typically the highest returning bank in the US um, and very conservatively run, which I think is what you want at this stage of the cycle. So we're long into the cycle and you don't want to be buying into a bank that's overly aggressive. Uh, at this time. Mm. And speaking speaking of those value counters, um, I see you've got a, a fairly large staker in Royal Dutch Shell. Yes. And suspiciously little in these very topical tech companies uh, at the moment. Yes, so uh, Royal Dutch Shell, one of my favorite holdings right now. It's run by a chap called Ben van Buren, who took over, I think, uh, end of 2014. Um, Shell typically was um, a business that wasn't really run for returns. It was they focused on doing sexy things like floating LNG uh, plants and all sorts of other things. ExxonMobil was always the best oil company. But I think things have changed now. Ben van Buren ran their chemical division. He's come into, he's taken over and the share price has done exceptionally well over the last two years. So we bought a little early in about September 2014 and then we loaded up uh, at the beginning of 2016 and we've been buying so it's in fact it's now up at about seven percent it's our second or third uh, largest holding and and over that period the oil price has recovered too and it also pays a five and a half percent dividend yield so uh, frankly I think it's a it's a wonderful investment extremely well-run business now and there's more I think there's more to come tech yes coming back to your point on tech in fact my background is in tech um, so I spend a lot of time looking at tech um, at one stage, our biggest holding was Alphabet. Um, you know, I haven't really had stakes in Apple or Amazon over time, but the biggest was and that, you know, the fund has grown a lot uh, with inflow. So that's now at around 3% of the fund, but um, we are focusing a lot on tech. So there will be a time when, when the tech uh, weightings go up again. So, so Warren Buffett has sold out of IPA, IBM. I see it's still a, a large uh, part of your portfolio, about 4%. Yes. Um, do you still like IBM? At what stage do you decide an unloved company may remain just that? Yes. So IBM, it used to be bigger in my portfolio and I have reduced a little bit. The last two quarters, we have seen revenue growth in IBM for the first time in about four years. Um, but it wasn't the revenue growth that it wasn't as strong as people were hoping for. IBM is still, you know, it's the oldest tech company. They have to reinvent themselves whenever the tech cycle really turns. Um, they are strong in artificial intelligence, so AI with their Watson um, uh, cognitive computing. They're also very strong in blockchain. So I'm being patient. Um, we'll have to see. If I don't get the revenue, if we don't see the revenue growth coming from IBM, um, you know, then I might have to sell off. They're looking for $13.80 of earnings this year. The share price is uh, 140 
245. So it's very cheap for a tech company, mm -hmm. um, but we need the revenue growth. That's really the key for them now. Mm. Your, your thoughts on the portfolio, Stephen? Yeah, so look, I, I suppose I, I'm a little bit interested in your, in your cash portfolio. So you've got a, a fairly large offshore cash holding, um, which resides in US dollars and, and euros. Yes. Uh, no mention of, of sterling. Um, can I, can I assume that's a, a bit of a negative sentiment towards British yes. negotiations? Um, I, I mean, obviously the British have, uh, you know, they're conducting an experiment. They, in a way, they're diving off a cliff. And, uh, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen to the UK. I just thought that it's best to stay away from, from uh, you know, too many UK companies. We have one UK-centric company, which is Admiral, a car insurer over there. But coming back to the currency point, um, typically, I've only really invested in US dollars and euros. Um, last year, we upweighted our position in euros before the French election. Um, you know, the euro performed after that very strongly last year. Sure. And it's funny, this year, everyone's been uh, bearish on the US dollar. Um, and we've taken a slightly contrary view. So about 80% of our offshore cash is in US dollars. Um, <laughs> You just say that um, you're trying to take investment out of South Africa, so g give uh, investors a, a, a global portfolio. And yet your biggest holding is actually City Lodge. Why yes. City Lodge? How did that find its way in there? So um, obviously I, I stay very close to the politics in this country. Um, and, uh, you know, the day when we were waiting for the ANC elective conference result, it looked like Cyril Ramaphosa was going to win. So I did bring back some, some dollars. Uh, I converted back to rands at about 12.80. And I thought, look, this is a once in a decade opportunity for any global investor. I think anyone would be interested to invest in South Africa. The business sector has almost been on strike. We've had very little uh, capital expenditure in the country. So I thought if, if you're running a global portfolio, now would be the time to invest in South Africa. So the very next day, I bought about 85% of my City Lodge holding at 135 Rand. I thought this is a, a play on the business cycle in South Africa, which is extremely depressed. You know, their occupancy rates are only at about 64%. Um, and typically, they, in fact, they haven't been over 70% for more than a decade. Um, so I think City Lodge is, you know, it's got all these rooms that are empty. We're going to see a lot more business travel. And I think over the next few years, we will have a strong recovery in earnings. So okay. it's a well-run business. It, management is exceptional, like most of the other shares in my you know, portfolio. Okay, well, we're out of time now. We'll have to get you back next year to see how that City Lodge thing's worked out for you for your sixth anniversary, perhaps. We have to leave you there. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. So we have time for this week. Thanks again to our guest, Stephen Schultz, the Head of Investments and Savings, uh, Savings Marketing at Momentum Investments. Also, David Gibb, Investment Manager at Anchor Capital. Thanks to you for watching. Same time next week. Goodbye.